for the ride like every day with four more thugs. I'm a bro with a stroller till we end up in the grave and lay. Spinning the drive we spotted the place and quickly rolled up. Gotta make that money, man. Hopped out of the ride, see flips that showed up. Fucking at the room, so drop it on down with them into the room. Them dumb, and I'm shaking the dice and hit them in naturals on them fools. And I'm looking lovely, they better not think it's funny. I'm coming up quicker than that quads, cause flesh be loving this money. I'm giving up love to the hustlers, all the bank tech making that money stand on your feet. And you better believe, gotta have that cheese for the green leaves, never catch me sleep. Steady on the track, get my stand down from a crime, and I hit up the 99. Gotta keep that back row, making me say a point, these nickels and dime. Hit us a finger for lick up that two eleven. Gotta give us mind been failing. Been kicking up dust from a trailer, failing one and seven. That's how it is, and I got to have it in the night. What? Missing the check a meal and still be real. Thugging on the clock, like creeping on the thumb up. Won't sleep till I'm done up. Gotta blaze my gun up. Hunt up another plot and scheme. Gotta make some break the soap. Nut up, what up? Gotta get that business on, even though the booty run this dumb and feeling lovely. But I'm just in it for the love of the money. Mount up, 
It was a clear black night, a clear white moon. Warren G was on the streets, trying to consume some skirts for the E, so I could get some phones. Rolling in my ride, chilling all alone. Just hit the east side of the LBC on a mission trying to find Mr. Warren G. Seen a couple of girls, ain't no need to tweak. All of you search know what's up with 213. So I hooked a left on 21 and Lewis. Some brothers shooting dice, so I said, let's do this. I jumped out the rock and said, what's up? Some brothers pulled some heat, so I said, I'm Since these girls peeping me, I'm on glide and swerve. These looking so hard, they straight hit the curve. Want to bigger, better things than some horny tricks. I see my homie and some suckers all in his mix. I'm getting jacked, I'm breaking myself. I can't believe they taking more and 12. They took my rings, they took my Rolex. I looked at the brother, said, damn, what's next? They got my homie hemmed up and they all around. Can't none of them see him if they going straight down for pound. They want to come up real quick before they start to clown. I best pull out my and lay them busters down. They got guns to my head, I think I'm going down. I can't believe it's happening in my own town. If I had wings, I would fly, let me contemplate. I glance in the cut and I see my homie Nate. 16 in the and one in the hole. Nate Dog is about to make some bodies turn. Now they dropping and yelling, it's a tad bit late. Nate Dog and Warren G had to regulate. Switching my mind back into freak mode. If you won't skirt, sit back and observe. I just left a gang of over there on the curb. Now they got the freaks, and that's a known fact. Before I got jacked, I was on the same track. Back up, back up, cause it's on N-A-T-E-N-E, the woman to the G. Just like I thought they were in the same spot, in need of some desperate head. The Nate Dog and the G Child were in need of something else. One of them sexy as hell. I said, ooh, I like your size. She said, my chorus broke down and just sing real nice. Would you let me ride? I got a car full of girls and it's going real swell. The next stop is the east side That's right. WCBN, that's right. We're a small 
station uh, specializing in quality programming and need listener support so they don't have to depend on the neoconservative government and their censorship. Got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, Jonathan Lethem is here. Jonathan, welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me back. Thanks. I know this. Still is... living. <laughs> still alive, yeah. still writing, um, still qualifying for Living Writers in <laughs> 2011. Jonathan, thanks so much for being here this week in particular, since it's fundraiser sure. here at WCBN. That's good. Yeah, have you done fundraisers before? I is guess this... I was on um, WNYC's fundraiser once. Yeah, I think so, on the Leonard Lopate show. Ooh, and how'd that go? I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe they made some money. I don't know. Millions, I hear. Yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. We have to beat them today. <laughs> That's right. We've got our little thermometer going. We're yeah. getting ready to <laughs> color in the mercury or something less poisonous. Um, but Jonathan Lethem is here. We've got copies of books that Russell kindly sent from Vintage That's Books, great. so that we could um, give them away to callers. So please give us a call at seven three four seven six three thirty five hundred. Show your support for WCBN FM. Um, I'll for... sign it for you if you if you, <laughs> if you tell me what your name is. That's right. Um, we've got great. Um... It's one of the things living writers do. They, they can s- write. They sign the book. <laughs> I hear Jonathan. You're an awesome speller. Um, I can spell pretty pretty good. The pen is poised me, here. Me, me spell pretty good. Um, yeah. <laughs> Was that your take on David Sedaris there? No, we talk no, pretty. Sorry. No, yeah. No, you know what I actually always think of is that um, uh, there's this Steve Martin line where he says uh, he's boasting. You know, this is in his early uh, stand-up comedy routine. He goes, um, uh, "Some people have a way with words; other people not have way." <laughs> so that when I that was my very incompetent reach for that. For that joke, when I said me spell pretty good, I wasn't thinking of Sedaris. But <laughs> I actually... which, which great humorist have I fallen short of this time? <laughs> Hard to keep track of them all. Well, call in and save us from our shortcomings here. <laughs> Living writers. No, but I actually feel like that a lot when doing the show sometimes, especially when you're having a deep conversation or any conversation at all with with a lovely living writer such as yourself, Jonathan Lethem. And My loveliness is wasted on radio, don't you think? This is, this is underutilized uh, loveliness. It is. Yeah. The shirt that you are wearing I today. I picked out this shirt. I worked so hard on this outfit. And I can tell you ironed as well. This is... <laughs> This this well, living writers means something to Jonathan. Either that or that's like yeah. one of those no press shirts that are very <laughs> maybe. I'm not telling my secrets. <laughs> well, maybe there'll be more secrets to come. Yeah. Um. But but just so you know, we've got callers at the re- um. Well, we've got 
um, answers, call answers, call takers at the ready. Um, Dick, Andrew, and Frank are, are here waiting for your call. 734-763-3500. Um, Jonathan, will you tell us what books Russell kindly sent for It looks us? like um, uh, Fortress of Solitude and Chronic City. He sent the, the thick ones. So you're getting a lot of page value for your donation. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how long um, did... How long, roughly, does it take you to um, come up? Is your next book going to be this number, like such a? Oh, uh, I don't know. A, I think it might be headed tone. headed in a larger direction. Might be, might be, might be long. Um, but um, I, uh, you know, I I guess uh, the first time when I wrote Fortress of Solitude, I was so confused by by what I charted out to do. How how much. Uh, time it would cover, how many different characters and situations it would be. And I just, you know, had to read a lot of long novels to figure out how they worked. I, I got really deliberate about that. I read, you know, um, all, all all sorts of long novels to figure out. Was it out Dickens? What... Did you, did Dickens you was Taylor very important. Or... Yeah. No, well, I don't, I don't no. like that one so much. I like Great, uh, great Expectations. Ah! Okay. And um, that was a really useful book. Um, just because of the the, the way the the characters grew over the length or what, well, what was he, useful? Dickens, one, one amazing thing about Dickens is he'll let himself introduce really extraordinary characters really late in the, in the project. And it, it just was very freeing. I was sort of like, Oh, you can walk somebody on, you know, on, in the last, you know, in nine tenths of the way through a big book and make them important. And that's okay too, because the book really has that kind of size and, uh, elasticity, but also great expectations is, you know, uh, about a kid and it, it sort of in, involves this like growth into snobbery through social class. So it was a, it was a real point of, you know, a real a real compass for me working on The Fortress of Solitude. Because when you started Fortress of Solitude, had you already written Motherless Brooklyn? Yeah, that was a book just before it. Because I yeah. asked just because then the setting, you... Yeah, you yeah well, The Use of Brooklyn, to... one book kind of opened into the, the next. Yeah. You know, and but also... Um, Motherless Brooklyn accidentally taught me to enjoy doing something that I hadn't done at all in my work to that point. Um, I, you know, I don't want to talk as though everyone knows what these, what the contents of these books is like. It's it's a it's a story about a detective with Tourette syndrome. But I set it in Brooklyn, in the neighborhood where I grew up, and I started doing something I hadn't ever done in my writing, which was name a lot of real stuff, like real restaurants, real street names. Um, Real cultural things, movies and 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 records and and um, you know uh, comic books, you know Mad Magazine. There's a couple of pages devoted to talking about Don Martin cartoons, and I had always kind of held this at bay, like it was illegal or something. You can't talk about real stuff in fiction. If you, in fact, I used to think there there was like a higher law that if you if your characters in fiction went to the movies or or listened to music you should make up a fictional song or a fictional movie or book or something for them to, so that the whole world would be fiction but i broke that um kind of pointless um uh restriction that i'd set up for myself and, and it was no one else's fault but my own that i that i thought that way and once i started doing it i had a lot of enthusiasm for it i realized oh i like naming the real world in the 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 fictional story. So that became, obviously, if you know anything about The Fortress of Solitude, which is about growing up inside culture, being a pop critic, being obsessed with, you know, the songs on the radio, 
it was a crucial technique. It became the whole book in a way, was fictional characters who were thinking about real culture. And and also this this growth from the bohemian neighborhood. Right. So it almost seemed like, at least from the be- the beginning of the book, Jonathan, that it was a love letter to this place. Um, yeah. Form Hill pre-gentrification. Um, sure, with, yeah. With many collisions happening of, of um, different people that were making it their, yeah, their it was own. Yeah, it was about how crazy and conflictual and beautiful and strange this lost world of my personal childhood was. This place where... Uh, the neighborhood was, you know, had no single definition. It was, it was a, a slum and it was a vibrant, uh, you know, lower middle class community. And it was a bohemian, you know, kind of turf where artists were, uh, you know, uh, working. And it was a place where communists were coming to have communes. And it was uh, a no man's land by the laws of the city. You know, the police would almost literally not answer. This sounds like calls. WCBN that you're describing. Yeah, exactly. It was it was WCBN. This 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 is the only place I feel at home anymore. Um, but um, uh, yeah, I just was trying to get some of you know, and not to resolve these irreconcilable things, but just to name them, just to say, wow, this this the flavor of 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 this life that I knew. Um, and that shaped me is, you know, it was like a diorama. I wanted to just reconstruct it on the page. And, and when you, and when you moved back there, it must've been, um, cause you had been spent almost like a decade in California. I'd been living in the Bay area for 10 years before I moved back. And, and the, the very first thing I began, you know, was motherless Brooklyn and then went right into fortress of solitude. So I wrote the two books about Brooklyn kind of, you know, in the first, in the first four years of returning, because sometimes to that you, place. you have to leave in order to have that. Oh yeah, I couldn't grapple with feeling. with very much about New York City or Brooklyn in my writing until I'd been away a long time and kind of told myself, you know, kidding myself that I didn't it didn't matter. I didn't need to think about it. It was like in a container, uh, you know, like a like a fuel rod, um, <laughs> actually about to burn right through. And and so um, then I uh, then I just suddenly. Uh, had whatever it took as a writer and as a just a as a human being, you know, my emotional structure was ready to kind of open to it and let let it, you know, let myself feel it and think about it again. Do you think that material from when you're you're young and when you're growing up, it's it imprints on you in a way and and your subconscious really that that might be material that you you're always accessing in in books. Well, or... yeah, I mean, it certainly has been true for me, and I, you know, probably to an embarrassing degree, I, you know, there's like a, um, my my work is always circling basically like the same eighteen or twenty months of my life when I was like fourteen and fifteen, and the things that came into my life or came out of my life at that time, and. What the when what you they lost your what they meant to me yeah around the time that my mother died and I was first kind of um, off to high school in Manhattan and the the things in the culture that you know that I obsess over almost all were kind of more or less collecting on my you know on my consciousness right around that time Stanley Kubrick and you know and and uh, Talking Heads Fear of Music and and so forth and, and reading Philip K. Philip Dick, K. Dick and, and 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 so you know. For better or worse, of course, I, I'm no, I had, there's no, um, what would you say, there's no control in the experiment for me because it isn't as though I ever tried to move on. In a way, I've cultivated that obsession by writing about it again and again and turning my 
attention to that place uh, because it's been so uh, extraordinary for me as a writer to explore it. So I'm, you know, I'm like a, uh, uh, I'm, I am the the laboratory, or I am the the diorama of my own life at you know at, in in 1977, basically, and, and just for you know for better or worse. For better or for worse. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure both. both. <laughs> We're going to take a short break. You're listening to Living Writers. It's it's in the middle of fundraiser week here, folks. Give us a call, 734-763-3500. Jonathan Lethem is here. Um, we're, we're asking you to give us a call. We've got books to give you. Um, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back. back. If you're just tuning in, you've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, Jonathan Lethem is here in the studio. Jonathan. Yes. What, don't you think independent radio is important? It's incredibly in important. It's, you guys are, you have no idea how lucky you are to have this. That's the thing is it's one of those like, until they take it away, you just didn't realize what you had. Yeah. Things. Like the disappearance of like Shaman used Drum. Like bookstores or, or Shaman Drum here. Yeah, exactly. 
um, yeah, it's incredible. It's great. As you were saying earlier that where where you moved to California, there aren't... I'm a little starved for used bookstores right now, so I've been prowling this town. There's there's uh, I visited, uh, is it Westside and... Um, and uh, uh, what was the other one's name? Labyrinth or... Uh, Kaleidoscope. Kaleidoscope. Yeah, That's great. it. Oh, because you are in a laboratory of your own diorama, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. could be a labyrinth. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, I'm, a, I'm in, a, in a kaleidoscope of <laughs> my own mixed metaphors. So. <laughs> but we, but we've got we've got news for you, listeners. We'd like to thank. Well, we'd like to thank two people. Jonathan, do you mind doing the honors yes. to thank so, our two two callers Amanda, so far? Amanda, thank you for calling in and pledging, and and Lewis, uh, is it Chicharelli? Yes. 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 There you go. Great. Good job. And Folks, keep, keep calling, keep, keep calling. <laughs> Don't let Tinkerbell die. We need help here. Call in. <laughs> it's t- important. You can't just, you know, you can't turn your back on the writing show. You can't say, oh, well, you know, no, you know, well, it's just the writing show. You've got to pledge right now, right now. Let us know you're listening, that you care, even if you call no pledge, too too small, too big. No, not at all. Um, and, and there's books. There's 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 books. Uh, you know, so you really uh, you can't lose. Yeah, and and even um, we've got actually we've got five copies of um, your latest book, Chronic City. When you were were last here talking on the program, Jonathan, because this is you you are a true friend of the show because this is your second time right. coming in, uh, putting the headphones on, ye old headphones, and um, and we talked about Chronic City, and now it's out in paperback with vintage. Yeah, it's um, I it's I've practically forgotten it. It's so so old, um, but yeah, no, I think that. Um, I, I I'm very proud of Chronic City, and so here here I'm st- looking, staring at five thick, sexy, chunky, slick, un unread paperbacks. You guys could just have these. It's They're, like there's nothing like the smell of a new yeah, paperback. Yeah, they look really good. You can you can fan the pages. They look really good. <laughs> I wish I wrote that book. Oh, I did write that book. I know. What does that feel like to no, see a you know, pile of books no. that that it's, like it's they're nice. yours? It's more. Fun. It's actually more fun to see it in a, in a like on a cafe table or something. So take these away from this place here and put them on your cafe tables. Yes. You don't have to read it. We're not going to check up on you. Just put it on a cafe table. There will be no quiz. <laughs> <laughs> and and just a quick word. We should say thank you to Amanda from eight two six. Yes. Um, doing the good work of getting um kids in uh Ann Arbor and and in our surrounding area to to love start love loving writing. Yeah. Um, the it's good a, work. A great place. Yeah. The good, great organization. Um, robots. The the robot store on Liberty. Oh, is this one a robot store? I guess they're all they're like all different things. Pirate stores or superhero stores. Oh, that's true. So, and yeah. you know what? Thinking. Uh, speaking of the pirate store, because that's in that's in San Francisco. I think isn't that's it? the that's San the Francisco flagship one is pirates, and uh, the the Brooklyn, uh, the Park Slope one is a superhero supply store. That is great. Yeah. That's, um, but we just did um, an on-air where we did um, WCBN um, gave over our um, our airwaves to a, a radio station in San Francisco that had just lost a, a community radio station that had just um, uh, their budget had been cut oh, yeah. and trying to show some solidarity. So it's I mean we can't we can't take this for granted. This WCBN it's like one place where you can go where there's someone here 24 hours a day. Um, that I don't even know how many radio stations, even public radio stations, they have, except a security person <laughs> there that's through the wee hours even. Yeah. But we've got DJs. That's the best. I, I 24 used to, hours. When I, in my, 
in my younger days, I used to listen to these shows on Calex in Berkeley that were, you know, like the, the 4 a.m. slot. And things would get really, really strange and stretched out. And But you felt like you were, you know, had a very intimate relationship with the DJ because you were probably one of like three people awake listening to them. And, and did you ever call in, Jonathan? I would. I used to uh, go to shows in Berkeley by winning tickets on Calex all the time because I was, uh, you know, this was before... Um, computer-assisted telephone, so I was pretty good at dialing my telephone. I knew Calix's number, and I was really good at dumb music trivia. And uh, I and and this little club uh, was right around the corner uh, from where I lived, called Berkeley Square, which is where every touring, you know, punk band would have to end up if, they, some... if they came to. Who did you see? Oh, I mean, this is this is really another era. I who did I see at that club? I I mean, I'm not sure that I won tickets to all of these shows, but I did that. Pretty often, I, I, I remember in that club I saw throwing muses. Oh, I saw Kristen Hirsch, friend of the show. There you go. I saw um, uh, an incredibly loud, totally underattended, um, uh, my bloody Valentine show. Oh. There might have been six or seven people standing around, you know, not filling, and they played as if they were in a stadium, oh. totally oblivious to the empty. Space and and the loud still the loudest thing I, I I've ever heard in my life and um, God who did I see in that club I saw uh, the Proclaimers the first I think the first time they toured America I saw the Go Betweens there I saw the Verlaines there <laughs> I can see these are my... bands that are almost fictional they're so they're so lost in you know they seem so unlikely uh, to to have been at these shows it you know. Um, and that's when you were working at the used bookstore. I was working at bookstores, and yeah. So you was, needed to kind of win the tickets. <laughs> yeah, that was my life. It was very, very simple. I was listening to those bands on vinyl, and uh, winning tickets on on the with a with a, you know, a, a, a telephone that had wires, and uh, <laughs> and I would drive there in my horse and buggy. <laughs> With, with your handmade black suit. Mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> um, but we don't mind what kind of phone you use, whether your phone has wires or not. <laughs> or if you have a, one of those mobile-type phones, you can call us at 734- Young whippersnappers. 763-3500. Uh, give us a call. Um, we've got books for Jonathan to sign. Um, and... Yeah. Well, and let's get back to talking a little bit more. What was your, when you were starting out, like, uh, well, were you always writing, Jonathan? Because I'm wondering, were you, what was your writing life like in San Francisco at that time? Oh, yeah, I was certainly was it... trying very hard then and beginning uh, some things that became the first couple of uh, books. You know, my um, my first novel, uh, which is a long time ago now. That's the theme, by the way, is how old I am. Um, <laughs> We're going to get some called, violins called in here. Gun with Occasional Music. And it was, oh. I, I started that book when I was 22, I think, or 23, maybe 23. Uh, so right when I first, you know, got a job in a used bookstore in Berkeley and sort of an apartment and settled in to my, um, my garret life there. And it took me a long time to get that book, you know, get it right because I just didn't know what I was doing. but And I was writing short stories in that period, too, which some of which ended up in the first uh, my first collection of short stories a couple of years after after uh, Gun With Occasional Music was published. So that was, you know, my... Those, you know, that was the, the you know, dark years, the apprenticeship, where nobody 
knew what I was doing or where I had gone to. You know, I dropped out of college and sort of vanished into this uh, clerk's existence in Berkeley. But I was writing every day as much as I could. That was how I figured out how to do it. And was did, in that time. And so you were writing every day. Were you also then sending the stories off? Yeah, to, I was trying. I was uh, just like constantly putting them in the mail and, and getting receiving them back in the mail all the time. Uh, it was very postal. I mean, you know, uh, I, I you you get obsessed with like, oh, I've got you know, can you get 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 another one written before they reject the last one? So I would. It was like this game of how many stories could I have out at one time, and if they came back, I would like try to turn it back around to another magazine in in less than twenty four hours. You know, it's like juggling. I wanted to have them all up in the air. You know, um, I I was the loser if more than one story was was back before you know before. I sent the the previous one out. I like how you work in like these different like uh, these rules or these games, these <laughs> constructions you anything, set up. Anything to keep yourself going in that <laughs> in that mode. But you were even saying that about writing, like, oh, well, I had this this higher rule that I if I was going to mention a film, I would have to make up the film. It couldn't <laughs> be a real right. film, you know. I, I, it's I, I love how that keeps coming back in. Yeah. And yeah. your and your um and sort of your. Can we talk about like your thing for names a little bit? Because yeah. that's an obsession too. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of faded. I used to make up extra, a huge surplus of character names. I was so into generating character names that I had all these sheets, these lists of all these different possible character names that I would just, you know, run my eyes over like like Scrooge McDuck counting his fortune. <laughs> and I would think, I will someday write stories for all these characters. And uh, for a long time, I just, you know, constantly overproduce them and then like some sort of um uh i just i i i calmed down and i realized i'm never going to write all those stories and i have more names than i could ever i could write a hundred novels and not use up these these names i've invented so then for a while i lived off those lists and i would you know populate my characters populate my novels in 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 you know uh for a long time from those lists that I'd written when I was much, much younger. Um, and then I sort of misplaced them and started having to make up new names and forgot about the the ritual, the fetish quality of the whole thing. But oh, don't I tell was, me. I was a great collector. I, I bet I could find those lists somewhere. They're, they're, okay. they're in a file. Because yeah. I was thinking, because you know, um, <laughs> I was thinking you should put that on your website, jonathanletham.com. That could be one of the page, like this name, like yeah. people could come. That's not, that's not a bad idea. Get, it reminds yeah. me of John Hodgman's list of hobo names, also friend uh-huh. of the show. <laughs> um, but you could be like, I see your hobo names right. and I give you these names. And maybe people could come and take one of your names and make the stories, and that way you get them all populating the world. That sounds that sounds good. Maybe I could get every one of those characters up on their feet somewhere, somehow. Some of them could be hobos too. And, yes, <laughs> living the free life of the rails. Yeah. And maybe if people would, if callers uh, call in and pledge, Jonathan, maybe you'll make up a name for them. On oh, the on spot. the spot? Yeah, okay, yeah. I, I can try. Okay. okay. Well, we're going to take a short break. We've got our promises on the table. We've got books on the table. Give us a call. This is Fundraiser Week here at WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Call us, 734-763-3500. We'd like to thank Amanda from 826 again and Louis Ciccarelli. We'll be back. for 
27 weeks. And the Chicago Cubs will beat every team in the league. And the Tampa Bay Bucks will make it all the way through January. And I will love you again. I will love you like I used to. Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you've got Living Writers. It's fundraiser week. And here in the studio, Jonathan Lethem is here. Hey, Jonathan, do you mind doing the station ID? Sure. Uh, the... I see it. <laughs> WCBN FM Ann Arbor. That's awesome. <laughs> please put. Please leave the studio clean. Put away all cables and replace any mics you, rem- you moved. I, I, yeah, I can probably find some more things to read aloud here. Exactly. Maybe something from one of your books, actually. <laughs> Do not say the words, oh, oh no. Um, <laughs> I, that was a dumb joke. Uh, <laughs> Brian has some gray hair now. Yeah. He didn't have before. <laughs> Um, well, well, I'd like to say thanks to my mom for calling. Mom, you're awesome um, from li- for listening in Florida. And thanks to Jane and Andy for letting uh, you, you listen um, uh, with them, with their computer. Um, and Jonathan, thanks so much for being here. You are... My pleasure. You are a superstar. Um, my pleasure. Is this, a, is this a good time to either... Well, should we talk about the music a little bit? Sure. Yeah. I mean... The Mountain Goats. No. I think last time I was, I, I was very... I had longer to poke around and pick out records and I was very focused on making it all a coherent <laughs> statement that had to do with the novel we were talking about like it like it was a a thesis uh, this is a bunch of stuff that I just grabbed that uh, I was excited to hear myself so that was a very early mountain goats record um, that it just brings me back to here and it's so it's so rough and and kind of clunky and and um, uh, compared to the how how smooth and 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 uh, and refined his music has gotten, um, but I love that. I love that lyric. It just it just cracks me up. Uh, uh, the, uh, you know, the Chicago Cubs will win the World Series, and I will see you again. You know, um, and um, and what else did I play? Oh, that magazine song. I haven't heard that. Um, I have not heard that song since college, and I just remembered liking it so much, and I thought, oh, I'm going to see what this sounds like. And of course, now I hear it, and I know so many things that I didn't know then, which is. For one thing, that they were totally doing fake Motown, but I didn't hear it as that when I was a kid. You know, I I, I heard it as punk rock. But now you listen to that, the sound of that magazine record, and it's just basically they're doing their 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 best to sound like you know, uh, circa nineteen sixty seven. You know, um, uh, the Motown house band with that 
those those pianos and so forth. Uh, and what else? Oh, yeah, and then that um, that Prince cover at the beginning of the show, Ooh, uh, Pop, Pop Life. Life. Um, so that guy is Dump. Uh, I mean, he calls himself Dump like it's a band, but he's one of those one-guy bands. It's James McNew, who's the... Um, the bassist in uh, Yola Tango and is a, a neighbor of mine in Brooklyn and a friend who I uh, used to bump into uh, on Smith Street all the time. Uh, terrific guy. But I love those dump records. They're really good. And this one, I think, is has been suppressed. I think that it's all Prince covers. And I think it got, um, it got kind of sued. So it's good that you have a copy on the shelves here and you should play it often because I don't think people can actually get that stuff anymore oh okay so that's another good reason to call in because we have if you if you spend time wandering around the shelves like jonathan was just doing before we went on the air you'll see that we've got so much stuff here that no one (laughs) else has and that you wouldn't be able to hear it's a great collection keep see this and this was completely we did not just try to make this happen jonathan just said that on his own (laughs) volition um i am not yeah i will say it it is a great collection (laughs) now but call us this is this is why um wcbn fm um should stay here in ann arbor um and be part of like i think part of the myth that ann arbor um is like keep ann arbor um like, I don't know what we all believe it to be. Don't let it. I mean, CVS on State Street. Maybe it's nice to have a pharmacy closer. OK, granted, there's some things that might be nice to have. But but that's not what what Ann Arbor um, needs needs to be. Right. We need kind of this quirky, unique stuff. Um, so call us. Um, Remember your friends here at WCBN, 734-763-3500. Jonathan Letham is a friend of, of living writers of WCBN. Yeah. Um, so um, last year, Andre Williams, speaking of um, Motown, oh, cool. he was oh, here great. for fundraiser week. and He's amazing. He he is he 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 told us how he um he actually was the the guy that was um was like you should be Stevie Wonder. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I love those stories, but you know there are no knock on Andre Williams. There are often a lot of uh, uh you know what's the uh, success has a thousand fathers because there are a lot of like I, I I once started trying to research who discovered the Jackson Five. I found out that like two hundred people discovered the Jackson Five, including James Brown. He says he discovered the Jackson 5. And it's just sort of like, they were very discoverable. They kept needing to be discovered, I guess. Um, it must have been a big first show yeah, or something. Yeah. Uh, well, um, well, speaking of big wigs, um, <laughs> um, uh, you, had, you had said... Actually, um, it was I was lucky enough. Uh, you came to Peter Ho Davies and, and my class the other day to to, to speak. Um, it was fun. Those are great students. Ah, I hope I hopefully they were, they were nice. They're listening out there. I think that they loved Motherless Brooklyn. They, I think that Good. was that's one nice. of the best things they were ever uh, told to read. That's that's fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm um, glad. And 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 during that class, you somebody asked you about um, well, what's it like to be told that you're. You're maybe you're the writer for the great American novel <laughs> of today. I just, I I I um have uh, figured out that I think the great American novel is not only you know doesn't exist and is kind of a a nuisance, but that it's it's a, a like a, a crime. It's a lie. It's a it's something that needs to be um, defeated and and exposed uh, because it's always um, 
it's always a like a white straight guy who's being proposed as having written it, and it it just really uh, doesn't it doesn't work. It's like a kind of it's. I'm trying to think of what to compare it to. It 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 always seems to me it's um, it's like it's a ritual sighting. It's like uh, <laughs> it's like Bigfoot, and people who are into into animals don't really have to think about Bigfoot. It's only people who don't care about animals who would who would be trying to see Bigfoot. And the Great American Novel, I think, is for people who don't care about writing or don't care about novels or 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 reading all that much. They just kind of want there to be this totemic, mysterious. Uh, authoritative object which they can d- defer to. It's like it needs to be taken care of, um, and I, I think it's. Um, or, or if they read that, then check. Yeah, it's just right. They've it's done. done it. Oh, we can stop reading. You know, it's, <laughs> what's the what's the joke uh, that uh, uh, John Ford, the director John Ford, um, um, told John Wayne that he was going to get him a, a a book for Christmas, and John Wayne said, "Well, uh, that's all right. I already have one." Um, it's. I, I, oh, no. I don't know if that's a real story or not, but um, sounds I, good. I just don't think the Great American Novel um, is a is a nice. I think it's a nasty name to to call anyone. I'm not. I'm. I'm not. I'm not writing the Great American Novel. No, but seriously, it's uh, mostly encodes a kind of um, really uh, lazy um, approach to culture at at best, uh, because also. The novel doesn't really actually have international boundaries. One of the stupider parts of the, the phrase "the Great American Novel" is the Americanness in it. You know, I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't. When I grew into my interest, when I was reading as a kid, I didn't think about where you know Aesop was from when I was reading Aesop's Fables, or that Lewis Carroll was British, or you know, or or whatever. It was, I was just organically excited by these stories, these images, and. That continued, you know, when I discovered, you know, uh, Kafka or Talat Calvino or or um, Raymond Chandler. I wasn't sort of checking their Americanness. I was just turned on by the the work, and I still think that um, having needing there to be like a national hero uh, is, um, you know, in the novel is is particularly uh, pointless a misrepresentation of what 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 writing is mostly about. And I think you're right. There is, because of this expectation of who it is that writes them, I think even if we don't realize it, you sort of absorb that. Oh, and yeah. It, oh, it sneaks up on you. Absolutely. This idea that, you know, once there was, uh, you know, this Mount Rushmore arrangement of, you know, Hemingway, Fitzgerald, Faulkner, you know, uh, let's say. And then, you know, we the, when I was growing up, it was uh, Updike, Mailer, Roth, and Bellow. Uh well, you know, what do all these have in common? Uh, they're not Willa Cather or Ralph Ellison or, um, you know, or, or... James Baldwin. Or James Baldwin. Yeah, exactly. And actually, I, you know, I, I just think that it, um, it contains that unstated thing in it that's, that's pretty, uh, pretty bad. Pretty bad. You know what's great though is that Deborah Eisenberg just won the Penn Faulkner Award for her collected stories. Did great. you see I that? I didn't hear that, but that's great. Got an email from Picador, mm-hmm. so she's a friend of the show too. We're gonna Good. have to call her up. <laughs> Good. I was really excited about Jennifer Egan's uh, uh, National Book Critics Circle Award just now. That was that was excellent. I'll have to read. That's such a good book. You would love it. Ah, ah. Jonathan Lethem is here talking to us um, about books and writing. 
how, you're listening. Please give us a yes, call. Send, send, we've, we've got <laughs> call up, send money. Yeah, you can also go online if you're if you're listening to the podcast um, at at some later time, um, which you can do at your leisure. <laughs> I think what you should do is go online because you've got it. There's there's buttons to click. Go to wcbn.org. Um, click on the you know I love WCBN. I'd love to donate. I'd love to pledge. I would um, gladly pay you. Tomorrow for a podcast today. I would, gl- I would gladly pay you yesterday for a podcast today. How are that supposed to work? <laughs> That's your your next epic podcast. Poem. Even sounds like it look, would look like a hamburger. And have a bite of this nice juicy podcast. Do you get to go to to supper before you go to the the Institute of the Humanities? No, for I'm gonna the have reading? dinner after my reading today. Oh, okay, yeah, which is but, fine. You know what? Let's take a moment to to announce because oh this yeah, is a right. Live I'm doing show. two more things yeah. in town. Uh, Right away today after this, I'm I'm reading at the, well you, you know you know the venue names better than I do. You should tell people what I'm doing. I'm reading a story and probably talking informally a little bit, answering some questions. Uh, a, re, the story is called Traveler Home, and it was written in conjunction with the photographs of Martine and Munoz, uh, who are, make these amazing photographs of snow globes that they build themselves. Very mysterious, beautiful images. And that's at the uh, Humanities Institute, is that yes. right? Yes, yeah. Oh, Institute for the Humanities. Institute for the Humanities at 6 o'clock. And then tomorrow night at, uh, is it 5, at the, what's the forum? That is, let's see, tomorrow you'll be giving a lecture, yes, right? Yes, I'm giving tomorrow a lecture. At UMA, at the Art Museum. At the Art Museum. Uh, and I'll, 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 I'll give a lecture, which is a kind of a... a do you remember the title, Jonathan? Yeah, I said, what did, what did I call it? How, uh, what I learned at the science fiction convention. <laughs> yeah. it's a, it'll be another one of my humiliating autobiographical confessions. And it, then I'll do some question and answer with people and, and, and just talk. So come to that. And that's at, at 5 o'clock tomorrow night, Thursday night. 5 o'clock Thursday yeah. night at, at the art museum. Um, and then, of course, tonight at 6 o'clock at the Institute for the Humanities. Oh, that's great. Snow globes, which reminds me, um, because uh, Mattia Harvey, she she was in town, poet Mattia Harvey, one of your Brooklyn neighbors. Yeah, I've been reading those poems on the breaks. <laughs> We've got two books um, that Mattia Harvey has donated for the fundraiser as well. Um, also- I'll sign her books, too. <laughs> Anything. Just call. <laughs> just call. Jonathan Lethem will sign book anyone's books he'll sign your forehead if you come down to the station um we've got sharpies it can be done um and we've got copies of the fortress of solitude and chronic city um great paperbacks you can carry them to the, your neighborhood cafes um and make the scene um and then we've got matia harvey's books modern life and sad little breathing machine um both books uh, donated by gray wolf press so thanks to to aaron there um many thanks um for sending those books and thanks to matia for signing these when she was here um, on the show. Um, well, Jonathan, I, you know what? We probably have a, a, a minute more. Um, so let's see. I wanted to talk about Alice in Wonderland again oh, because yeah. you name it as this, this formative it book. It was a big book. I think it was the first book where I realized that there was a writer behind the words. How? Cause, and how old were you when you well, read it? Well, I don't know. I, or was it I, read was to you? I probably looking at it. I think it was probably read to me. Or certainly was shown to me by my mother, and I was probably reading it, you know, among the first things that I read that wasn't like a picture book that I that I read for myself. So it's actually a pretty chunky book. Yeah, if yeah. you get it with the but big I would, font. but it's also very episodic. I I remember I would just read and reread certain pages and episodes 
over and over again. I wasn't always or maybe ever reading it kind of straight through like it was a novel. So what were the episodic parts well, that you I, returned to? I, I was really uh, transfixed by the mock turtle uh, and the griffin. I would read that a lot. And um, and also the the looking glass insects, the bread and butterfly. Uh, I, there were references in there that just fascinated me. These weird embedded puns that were based on like British food that no one in America ate. So I didn't even know what the pun was about. Um, but um, I, I just something was very hypnotic to me. And the wordplay made me feel the presence of this writer enjoying himself, playing, teasing, making something, you know, playing with the form of language, the sentences themselves. And so I could just detect this idea of writing in a way by, by reading that book. And then did you like uh, try to learn about who... Lewis I did. Carroll. I got really interested in Lewis Carroll. And, oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. yeah. And uh, so then I, of course, got very interested in pedophilia for a while. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, but um, no, I was, I was, I, I even tried reading a lot of the things of his that are not as well remembered and, you know, just frankly not as interesting. But I was, I sort of thought, oh, he's such a favorite of mine. I must, I must like read his mathematical bo- books of mathematical puzzles or, you know, Sylvie and Bruno, this other kid's book he wrote. But I never actually got very far. The only other thing that's, Great, and it's really great. Is that uh, long poem, the um, the hunting of the snark, and that's as good as the Lewis Carroll. I mean, excuse me, as the Alice books. It's it's great. It's so good, and and um, and and uh, you know, one of my favorite things. And do you think was your copy of Alice in Wonderland? Did it have the illustrations, or was it? Something about the the wordplay and the language itself. Well, that yeah, had I'm your I'm I'm a stickler. Actually, I I hate uh, re-illustrated Alice. I, I for, to, to me the tenial illustrations are so uh, uh, they're so definitive that even though I love Ralph Steadman uh, and and you know and those are beautiful drawings, I don't ever want to see other renditions of Alice or or color images of Alice. To me, it's just, I'm really a purist about the Tenniel illustrations. It, to me, it's a, it's like it's one thing uh, with his words, with Carol's words. And I, 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 you feel very passionately <laughs> about yeah. almost everything. Is there anything know, that just sort of just you know. kind of... <laughs> anything I, I'm indifferent to? <laughs> Name a, name to us your indifferences. It's so hard. It's like them. it's like it's like what's in your peripheral vision, and then you go uh, look at it, and you know. Uh, does it always automatically intrigue you then, if you start looking closely? Well, see, this is the thing: is it, it's 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 a it's a kind of creepy solipsistic uh, life I live because, in a way, what I'm interested in is my own interest. You know, so then I would think like, oh, what? Why did I pick that thing to say I wasn't interested in it? Why did that come to mind? You know, and did so I... then then I would be automatically like kind of fascinated by that. I'd be following that. <laughs> you know, up. I'd have to really be extremely. Oh, I am not interested in that electric piano over there to the left. <laughs> I never thought about it until I turned my head. But you know, short of that, if I was like, well, I'm not so interested in you know professional in NFL football, then I'd be thinking. But you know, what about all those times that I did watch a, a football game and. Remember how cool I used to think the Vikings helmets were when I was 12? And I would just suddenly be inside this thinking and remembering. And I would think, did I suppress some really intense feeling about, you know, the Minnesota Vikings? And so, you know. (laughs) And what it is to be American. I'm doomed to to this situation of having cultivated my own uh, fascination with consciousness. And the only one I have on view, of course, is my own. So not being interested in something is quite interesting, actually, you know, also. 
and and sometimes the the writing about something and pursuing it and writing is That's, when yeah. you enter treacherous. This, this, oh, it's very treacherous. Yeah. Or but is it also sort of your your yeah. dome of quiet or calm or what is it like? Yeah, you know, I, sometimes it, it it gets a little calm. Yeah, I actually no. I mean, my best way of calming down is to read something somebody else wrote or go to the movies, disappear into the dark, and to let some set of narrative images wash over my brain. I feel like movies are like brainwash. You know, they're this incredibly relaxing, uh, beautifully dislocating thing where I, I, my, my own brain vanishes and is replaced by this, you know, dr- this dream that someone else dreamed. It's great. And, and you can be at rest in some yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's lovely. Well, you know. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, it's, I, I don't get to go to the movies enough anymore. I'm, I'm, uh, He's looking for a sign to wave at us that says uh, well, negative talk- three minutes. <laughs> no, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, we'll call in because you still have time to call and let us know that you're listening um, and and to pledge because this is fundraiser week here at WCBM. Yes, please call. And Jonathan Lethem is is even is asking you nicely. Yes, I I won't I won't say it so nicely next time. So that's right. When you come back next year, want to join right. us again? <laughs> you didn't give money, so I'm going to speak in a, a creepy, mean way now. That's right, <laughs> Jonathan. Maybe next year I could email you and you could call in and you could be one of the callers. I could call in. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, but you out there listening, seven three four seven six three three five zero zero call in um say if you know you enjoy listening to living writers here on wcbn one of the best stations to ever exist on the planet i say that completely unbiasedly <laughs> and i and keep us around you know i think that we're all we're all here volunteering and um trying to track down awesome people like jonathan Lethem uh to come and uh and talk and sing and <laughs> should we sing now jonathan <laughs> is there is, is there, there money on the line <laughs> no <laughs> exactly there will be a double pledge if we sing <laughs> today one's birthday coming up we could sing we could sing um but well let's just say that jonathan Lethem is a stand-up guy and um and I wish you you live closer to Michigan, uh, but yeah, now you're in fun. California. Do you think you're going to keep doing this East Coast West Coast? I don't know. Um, I, there's no master plan. I I I I I just um, I just have given up trying to trying to make a a, a plan. I just uh, the, but the new the new the new uh, setup in California is pretty good. I'm going to be there a while. I think. Really? Yeah. It's it's. I'm also you know. Uh, I have these little kids, and we're 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 a big unwieldy unit. So if you move to, you know, if you move to California, you you must have a good reason for doing it, right? I mean, we're not we're not we're I'm not mobile the way I was uh, long ago. Well, maybe you guys could somehow set up a used bookshop then in town. So yeah, have... maybe I've actually had that thought a couple of times. Maybe I should I, you know should just start one. Because because in a way, it's I think you want to live in a place where your kids can grow up and they actually know what a used bookshop is it's not like a museum yeah <laughs> or something it's not an artifact um yeah but but the the two i visited here today are really good it would be hard to you know they have that like quality of layers and layers of material from different places that you know has just come to the store to live until someone comes you know the right person walks in to to connect with it and you know that's it's hard those are those are incredibly special places. Yes, yeah, so and that's West Side Bookshop, Kaleidoscope, and, right? And Kaleidoscope, yeah. Um, 
and and then of course like nearby um David's, the Don Trader, and I have to try some more. I, Nicola's, I, that's an independent. I spotted bookshop. one as we were walking over here. Some other shop that I thought I could go to. So, you know, and and drink some coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, see what book awaits you there. Yeah. What What are your current projects, Jonathan? Or is it is it sort of um, secret? Because you said you're working on a long. I have a novel. I have a novel in the background. It's very uh, large, disorganized, massive material right now, and hard hard to say a whole lot about it, except that it's another book set in New York and, and um, in Queens and Greenwich Village in the in the 50s and 60s with a lot of characters. And um, yeah, I still have a lot to discover about what what it's going to consist of. And then, um, but what I'm doing more immediately, I'm finishing up organizational work and editing work on a large uh, collection that'll come out in November that's going to be called uh, the ecstasy of influence, and it's got stuff I've written for you know, f- really, I guess almost twenty years worth of occasional pieces, music writing, film writing, uh, other kinds of cultural remarks that I made, or a few short stories, but also some of these sort of like unspecifiable odd pieces that I've written for small magazines or websites that are you know not quite fiction or not quite essay, just a lot of different things all uh, churned up together and, and connected with new interstitial material and and actually some of what I'll be um, talking about the the, the that uh, lecture tomorrow night the uh, what I learned at the science fiction convention comes out of this new writing that I'm doing to connect the essays in this book so it's gonna have a it's gonna be another one of these books that's like um, both a, a big pile of you know a, a big assortment of things and kind of a secret memoir in fragments you know it'll have a lot of um ah. autobiographical remarks in between the essays saying you know uh, how did i come to be to do this why was i this writer at this point or what was i working on well, you know what 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 made this happen so um so you're piecing it together i'm piecing it together yeah exactly uh, wow i love the secret memoir in fragments that's awesome Good. That, well, that should I, be your I, little, the subtitle right <laughs> yeah maybe maybe and, so um, and, yeah, I'm 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 wrapping up work on that. You, if, um, from many of the writers that I've spoken with, you seem so comfortable with saying 